NTT Group Security is out with its 2014 Global Intelligence Report. What are some of the key findings, and how can you put them to use in your organization? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking today with Rob Krauss. He's Director of Research for the Solutionary Engineering Research Team. Rob, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Rob, it's noteworthy that this annual report is the first one you've done since Solutionary was acquired by NTT Group. Given that context, what is unique about this first report from NTT Group Security? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Tom. Um, you know, last year uh, we looked at data that was purely sourced from Solutionary's visibility around the globe and into different vertical markets. Uh, with our new relationship with the NTT Group and the group security companies, uh, we have a much larger global presence this year. So we're actually including events that we had seen not just sourced from within the United States and Solutionary's clients, but also from around the world with our our uh, sister operating companies in Europe, Asia Pacific, and Australia. Well, let's dive into the report now. Rob, what would you say are the big headlines coming out of this year's research findings? You know, that's a really great question. We had a lot of interesting things in this year's report. Uh, some things we validated that we suspected, and other things were kind of new to us. Some of the things that we ran across when we were looking at building this year's report was we wanted to come up with a, a vision, and we wanted to kind of say, you know, let's talk to our, our audience, our readership, about the benefit of advanced in, uh, detective and investigative and response capabilities and how some of, some of the great tools that are out on the market can, today can actually help organizations prepare and address cyber incidents. But as we started going through the report and we, we pulled in the data from the different, uh, you know, our sister operating companies around the world, we started looking at that data as well as the vulnerability lifecycle management data that we included this year in the report. We kind of saw a, a little bit of a different picture. We needed to take a step back because although we want to always leverage the capabilities that are out there today, we're finding that a lot of organizations were really not even hitting the basics in all the areas that we thought they should. We felt that in many cases organizations were not effectively implementing basic controls. So the kind of the mantra behind this year's report is to look at the difference between doing the basics, things such as vulnerability lifecycle management, anti-malware um, controls, antivirus controls, hatch management issues, uh, additionally incident response capabilities. We, we needed to focus in those areas because we find that organizations in many cases are doing them, but they're not always necessarily doing them well. Let's go into some of the specific findings now, Rob. One of them is about the cost of even a minor incident. What can you tell us about what you learned about these costs that perhaps is a little surprising to some people? Right. So last year, um, we looked through all of our incidents that we had responded to in 2013, and um, we found that there was a reoccurring theme. And one of the interesting things that we found is that 77% of organizations, uh, when we were pulled in to support them, that these organizations, 77% uh, of them, didn't have any incident response capability at all which was quite interesting to us. We know that cyber attacks are going to happen, yet we don't prepare for them. And even when you know we know that they're going to happen and we don't prepare for them, we're even additionally not securing budget, 
just in case we have to address uh, a major cyber incident. So looking through some of the findings from last year, one of the stories that sticks out in particular was um, our case study on a SQL injection attack against a company here in the United States. The SQL injection attack resulted in an organization losing a significant amount of records. However, we refer to this as a, as a minor case because comparatively to much larger organizations, it, the disclosure of data was relatively small. It was also minor from the perspective of the SQL injection attack was successful against our client against a single form field on a web application that was not properly sanitizing input. The entire rest of the application was locked down very tightly, but it goes to show that this smallest pebble that was unturned uh, that led to this uh, SQL injection vulnerability actually cost the organization $196,000. The costs came from several different areas. One of those was um, costs for external counsel, legal counsel that the organization paid for, uh, costs associated with public relations to make sure that uh, uh, the organization was reaching out and sending the appropriate message about the breach uh, through their uh, PR firm. External support for uh, incident response uh, capabilities because the organization did not have any incident response capabilities uh, on staff. And then post-incident uh, activities such as uh, performing additional assessments, uh, application assessments to make sure that uh, all mitigation controls were properly implemented. And when you look at the cost that the organization spent based off personnel being uh, required to support this incident response uh, effort, uh, you know, six people from the organization, uh, their employees were focused on this remediation effort. Um, you know, you quickly get to that $196,000 number, which is, we believe, uh, small. It's not a large number. We, we suspect that... Uh, Given the size of this organization, it was a fairly decent, uh, a decent number to be concerned with. But when we look at other major breaches that have happened throughout 2013 and here in the beginning of 2014, uh, that number we still predict is a fairly small number. And yet again, we're talking nearly $200,000 for a minor incident. Correct. Rob, everyone's interested in the threat landscape. What insight do you have from your latest report on this? The report says threat intelligence. What are some of the most dominant threats that you're seeing in the marketplace? Yeah, that's a really good question. Everybody kind of wants to know what's what's the next great thing that's going to hit them, right? And, and we're actually seeing that there's a continuing trend. We found a, a, a large percent of, um, for instance, the incident response engagements last year resulted in malware-type response um, efforts. Uh, matter of fact, 43% of all the incident response engagements that were responded to last year were malware-based. Additionally, we had found that 31% of the incident response engagements that we supported last year were uh, distributed denial of service attacks. Um, so those are trends that we saw in 2013 and 2012 uh, that are continuing. Um, and we were continuously seeing that the evolution of the attacker tools that are out there today is making this number fairly stable. Uh, matter of fact, some of the, the, the different things that we're seeing uh, with our research on exploit kits uh, the tools that the uh, malicious actors out there are using to uh, facilitate cybercrime uh, type activities in these exploit kits, we're finding that they're getting a lot fresher um, exploits in those kits to leverage against vulnerabilities uh, that were a little bit newer in nature, coming from 20, uh, 2013, 2014. 
so we're seeing the, the weaponization of these exploits is continuing. Matter of fact, some of the exploit kits that we're, we've uh, researched and you know taken a look uh, deeper dive into recently are actually resembling the types of capabilities and types of, of robustness that you would see in a legitimate uh, enterprise application. Right, but from what you gather from the intelligence report, how are traditional security defenses faring against these threats that you see? Well, that's a that's a really good question, and we're we're actually the the kind of the stance that we take in the report this year is that we actually believe that some of the controls that are out there today, some of the traditional defense capabilities, are effective. However, we're finding that not all the time are those capabilities implemented correctly. Um, for instance, antivirus has been around for years. However, we're still running into many situations where antivirus deployments are not uh, deployed successfully, meaning that, um, you know, once they're deployed, are they continued, uh, is there continuous maintenance? Is there a feedback cycle to say it's, it's achieving what we expect it to achieve? Um, is the uh, controls in place uh, to ensure that the systems are being maintained from a, a care and feeding perspective and that they're actually accomplishing the mission that they're, they're put out there to do. And we're, we're seeing problems not just with antivirus. We're also seeing issues with uh, vulnerability lifecycle management. Um, matter of fact, uh, of all the vulnerabilities that we identified last year, uh, millions of vulnerabilities uh, against uh, vulnerability data from our scans against clients, we're actually finding that 50% of the vulnerabilities identified last year were initially assigned CVE numbers between 2004 and 2011. So these aren't new vulnerabilities that just popped up yesterday. These are vulnerabilities that have been out there for quite some time, and our clients are still either having an, an issue identifying or patching those, um, which, is, which is a great concern. You know, and then additionally, the, the traditional controls, right? Uh, another one is incident response capabilities. And like we mentioned a little bit earlier, 77% of organizations are not um, implementing an incident response plan. They don't have policies. They don't have procedures. They don't have trained personnel to respond to incidents should one happen. And the 23 remaining percent um, of those organizations a very small percentage of those actually have a really tight incident response plan, but most of them just have a couple loosely defined policies and procedures that describe what they should do during a response, not necessarily a, a guided procedure or what have you. Rob, let's talk about some of the vertical industries. Based upon your data, which of the key verticals are seeing what you might consider an alarming uptick in threat activity? Right. You know, that that's uh, something that kind of surprised us a little bit this year when we were looking at some of the vulnerability data. We were finding that uh, over 40% um, of uh, activity generated from the education vertical market was related to malware. And we, we've we done some research and we suspect that a large part of that, uh, the reason for that focus in malware in the educational vertical market is because the educational uh, vertical or education sector in general um, feeds a lot off of the concept of sharing information to facilitate learning. Um, so there's a little bit, a little bit more of a looseness in those environments. We find that organizations that we've supported through incident response engagements 
Um, and some of the challenges to the educational vertical market are kind of unique, where they have to provide access to their students so they can learn, but at the same time they need to secure their networks as much as possible. And it's a very, it's a very fine line between those. I kind of refer to that as the, the wild, wild west network model, right, where we want to let people on our networks just so they can so they can learn things, but at the same time, we have to try to control it. But it, you know, usability and security grind all the time in those types of environments. So, you know, so we found that quite interesting, and, and part of that has to do with educational vertical markets have a lot of, um, I think, a little bit more flexibility when it comes to what scrutinizing what types of systems come on to their network. So you've got students who are connecting up to the networks with. Uh, Everything from uh, Nooks to iPads to, you know, you name it. You know, there's everything. Every device you can think of is connected to some of these educational networks, right? So so that's one of the challenges. And the other thing that we thought was interesting is that there was a, a 13% increase in botnet activity against the health uh, healthcare vertical. Um, and, you know, we, we believe that's because of a lot of interconnectivity and a lot of the focus on uh, data inter- uh, exchange between different uh, medical organizations to help facilitate uh, moving of patient records and what have you. So that kind of makes sense to us from that degree. But what's kind of scary is when you look at healthcare and you look at education and you combine the two, um, because you have to remember that a lot of healthcare organizations are actually part of a school system, right? So uh, uh, working hospitals and learning hospitals and what have you. So uh, you have a potential there for, for some of that um, those those issues to be compounded as well. So, Rob, when you take a step back and you look at the data, what are some of the key qualities that you see in successful breach defense or even breach response? Well, I, I think that um, there's a there's quite a there's no shortage of recommendations, and we actually have a lot in the report this year that gives some recommendations about the concept of first and foremost avoidance and response. Avoid where you can and respond where you must. Uh, should be the mantra, right? And 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 by making sure that you're doing everything that you can do to avoid a cyber incident, uh, will help you filter out, you know, probably 75 to 80 percent of your major issues. If you're doing the basics right, if you're getting back and doing the basics right, you're doing them well. You're feeding for your 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 security ecosystem and making sure that everything is working as anticipated. You're going to filter out a lot of uh, a lot of different types of threats naturally. Uh, and then, you know, with the response side of that, let's take that remaining 20, 25% of things that slip through the basic defenses. I'd much rather approach those smaller, you know, 20% than, uh, than have to deal with the daily grind of, of looking at everything that comes through the door. So um, I think, you know, as part of that, one of the things we recommend is a risk assessment, performing a, uh, a threat assessment against your organization, uh, looking at the different risks, looking at your um, your total loss potential uh, for your organization based off of different types of risks and making sure that you have response plans that address the ones that appear to be most likely. Additionally, I, I can't say it enough, but preparation. We tell our clients that every year you're going to have a major cyber incident, and most of our clients actually experience a, a significant if, um, incident every year that requires some sort of incident response support. And what happens is that if you prepare for those in advance, it's going to make it a lot less painful. 
you do not want to be in the middle of a distributed denial of service attack and then trying to figure out who to call at your ISP to implement some of the filtering of the malicious traffic. You don't want to be in the middle of that incident and try to figure out who you can call that has expertise in DDoS mitigation types uh, of attacks and what have you. So there's a lot of different things that can be said for, for having that plan in place. So the preparation phase is huge. And one of the things we also recommend is don't just write policies, procedures, and, and what have you and put them in place without fully testing them. We recommend at least an annual test of the incident response plan by going through mock exercises, making sure that your organization uh, can respond effectively. And during that ex exercise, identify the gaps that you need to work on before your next exercise or before your next real-world attack. Rob, final question for you. We've thrown a lot of information at people in this conversation, and certainly you've got a whole lot more in your report. How should organizations digest your report and put it to work for themselves? Well, I think this year's report is, is really interesting because we cover a lot of different areas. We try to make sure that it was focused on operational folks, but also the sea level at the same time. We didn't want to leave anybody out. Um, so there's a lot of good information there in there, everything from the basic understanding of what that avoid adverse response kind of philosophy looks like, as well as some information on compressing the mitigation timeline, basically the concept of of understanding that the quicker you detect, the quicker you investigate, and the quicker you respond mitigates your, your overall loss. So we talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, there's three case studies in there, not just from the United States, but also from our sister companies over in Europe as well as Australia. So you get some different aspect on some of the different case studies and the data itself. You know, today we feel it's very relevant towards what our, our, our clients are, are seeing. So we hope that the readers will be able to use the report um, in many different ways. Uh, we, we fully realize some readers are going to go in and say they're going to look at the table of contents and they're going to pick out a couple sections that appeal to them, which is fine. Uh, but we definitely recommend keep it as a reference, right? You know, um, pull down that report, take a look at some of the different case studies, see if they apply to your organization. Uh, we we give good recommendations throughout the report on how to how to address some of today's top threats, and uh, we think it's going to be valuable for a wide audience. And, and um, you know, most importantly, should you know any of our readers, uh, anybody who reads the report, if they have questions, they can always, uh, when they download the report, there's a there's a link in there with an email address where they can actually send some questions about the report, how we came to our conclusions, or if they're looking for recommendations, they can shoot us off an email. Great, Rob. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. The topic has been the NTT Group Security 2014 Global Threat Intelligence Report. I've been speaking with Rob Kraus, Director of Research for the Solutionary Engineering Research Team. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.